Welcome to today's Air Defenders podcast, episode eight, entitled Gaining Knowledge Through Lessons Learned from an ADA Chief. I'm your host, Amber Osei, Public Affairs Officer for the Chief and Commandant of ADA. And today I'm joined with two special guests, CW5 John Fallon and CW4 Kevin Crothers. And I'd like to welcome the guests now. Welcome to the show. Oh, this is Chief Allen. Thanks, thanks so much. Uh, I'm glad to be here. Uh, just getting ready to retire. I'd love to share some of the things I've seen. Okay, awesome. Yep. Thanks and for welcome. having me, Amber. It's uh, CW4 Crothers, and I'm looking forward to the conversation. Okay, perfect. So let's dive in. So the title of today is Gaining Knowledge Through Lessons Learned from an ADA Chief. CW5 John Fallon that we have with us today is about to retire. And we really just wanted to kind of talk to him about um, some of the experience that he's had since he's been in the air defense artillery and just the lessons that he's learned. I know that he, you know, you probably have a lot of knowledge from your your time in and all the time that you've spent doing what you're doing. So, well, actually, one of the things I wanted to get because and I'll get maybe get to it even more later, but I, I was okay. very intrigued when you said, you know, that the topic is lessons learned. So not a lot of people know this, but the air defense branch has a lessons learned cell uh, that's usually was embedded in .d. I was the first of the military evaluator or assessor that was part of that when I came back from Korea. And we were ending OIF-1 at that time. And there were so many lessons learned, as you can imagine, between the fratricide, 507, uh, and all this stuff. And lots of things. And, you know, I was a young W-1. And at the time, Colonel Bob Burns looked to me and said, I want you to grab everything you can get, get it published. I want you to follow how Call does it. And let's get some mm -hmm. stuff done. And during that time, my assignment there, working with many others like Nate Jones, Chad Wallet, and others, we stood up an ADAFCO course. We, we established the Patriot Camo Handbook. We, we uh, uh, started looking at things like RT3 and how you train, virtual training. All of that stuff was done by a small cell that had the backing of both the .D director as well as the commandant or the D DCG, which at the time was uh, General Heidi Brown. So, you know, I think awesome. that may be something we can look at if it's still, because I think they still exist, but I haven't seen a lot from them. But in my mind, Having that one organization dedicated to taking lessons learned across the branch, because Call does a good job, but Call is focused on the divisional and uh, BCT Army. So having something that you can do yourself, especially now that we have teams, I think is something in my mind would be a lesson observed that we could probably apply. But so I'll let you continue. Well, I mean, since you started us off with that, let's just go there. Um, I think it's cool that um, we titled it Lessons Learned and you're telling us a little bit about that history. So if you want to expand on that a little bit and what year was that and what rank were you at that time? So that was 2005, I believe, four or five. Um, and I was a W1 and that was the other thing. So, you know, kind of, you know, going back to kind of how my careers progressed. Uh, yeah. Many of the, <laughs> the people out there know this, that I'm a, I have taken a very non-traditional path uh, from from uh, going enlisted to becoming a CW5. I started off in the infantry. I did 10 years there. Had a lot of division, 17 TC rotations. That kind of my foundational, you know, army way was established that way. And then I crossed over into Patriot after uh, a couple of different things. Uh, and um, as a staff sergeant, went to Korea, came back, broke my leg, and ended up in .D as a staff sergeant. Learned a lot. Okay. So okay. learned a lot. Uh, but after that, while I was there, I had, you know, I never really, infantry doesn't have warrant officers. So I didn't think 
anything about becoming one. My, my goal was to become a platoon sergeant and a uh, and then a first sergeant, and then I'd be done. Uh, I had two really good warrant officers, Dale Maupin and Scott Stevens, that just basically badgered me until I put in a packet. And mm. so I was accepted. We went. And uh, actually, one of the no interesting things that I'm going to mention in my retirement comments as well is that our WOBC class uh, ended up producing three CW5s. We had myself, Anson Seebeck, and Gray Young. I think we're one of the few classes that did that. But anyway, awesome. so uh, coming out of that, you know, decided, and, and by the way, in .D as a staff sergeant, I, that's where I first started working on a system called BAD. I was a training and doctrine developer, and I, I loved it because it was new. One of the things that I perceived was a lot of the other air defense community was entrenched in, in you know, kind of old ways of doing things. And, you know, not, if it's not broke, don't fix it type. And what I saw as an opportunity in that was we can learn from what Patriot and Shorad and all those guys have done and apply it to this brand new weapon system. Uh, it also ended up being interesting that the weapon system got transferred from the Army to the Missile Defense Agency for its development and fielding. So, again, started off that at 99. Uh, and then went to war, went over to, to Korea as a, uh, a 140 Echo, uh, trying to learn maintenance. It was it was challenging for me. I've always been an operator slash tactics slash gunner, uh, but it was challenging, but in the end rewarding. When I came back from that as a W1, uh, one of my mentors, Joe Janishek, that worked in .D, uh, was talking with uh, was asked to form this lessons learned cell, and as a young W1 coming back from Korea they uh, diverted me to become the uh, first military analyst for that. So that was in, like I said, 2004, three or four, somewhere around there. Um, and again, it was, it was interesting times and we were doing so much good stuff. I still talk with Nate Jones, one of the, the legends of air defense, uh, every now and then about how, how we got all that done. And again, it was because of leadership focus and, and looking at having a, a entity established just to do that instead of relying on the units to do kind of, you know, collect it themselves. Cause let's be honest, when it comes down to units, um, a lot of times, you know, that AAR is maybe important, but you know, you got that, you know, I gotta go home and see mama. So there's a lot of times that, uh, the AR comments and things of that nature aren't shared correct or completely. Um, so is there anything from that time, um, and that cell that we're still using now? Yes, actually. So the ADAFCO course is still ongoing. Uh, and it, it was our first joint course that we utilized Air Force uh, CRC crews. And we sent the, the students to uh, Kirtland Air Force Base in New Mexico, where they get joint training on the joint kill chain and working with an actual uh, uh, weapons director and a CRC crew. So, and that is still ongoing to this day. I had very little, just a little bit of influence and talks with the Top Gun, but Nate Jones established the Top Gun course. And that Top Gun course is still going on to this day. And again, that was all coming from lessons learned out of OIF. The Patriot, Patriot Camo Planner's Handbook. Uh, we worked with Raytheon to, because that was one of the other things came out is the, you know, there's a saying that, you know, a Patriot battery is a signal company with missiles. Uh, so we, we had a lot of communications capability, but nobody knew how to use it. Uh, so working with Raytheon uh, and uh, uh, at the time it was LTPO, we had them produce that and they're producing it, I want to believe, annually. So I just saw, I think it was six months ago, another recent copy come out. So that's still in existence. Uh, the RT3, uh, one of the things we learned is the units need to be able to train off system. 
uh, because your system could be used, be up at all the times and things of that nature. We looked at many various things and <laughs> caused a lot of ruckus. But in the end, you know, the LTPO and others started looking at, all right, we need a separate training device. And we ended up with the RT3, which is for Patriot. And then we ended up with a TT3 for that. But again, lessons learned was you can't always train on your system just like you can't always do maintenance on your system because you may be doing a mission for long periods of time. Does that kind of answer your question? Yes, and maybe um, Chief Crothers can help me with some follow-up. Yeah, and one thing um, of note, Amber, and also to Chief, um, you know, the ADA lessons learned um, division still exists within DOT-D and the doctrine side. Um, and they put out the, the weekly interceptor. And they put out lessons learned and best practices, um, public, different publications. A lot of stuff recently has been centered on the counter small UAS problem. Um, they put out a commander staff guide to counter small UAS and LISCO last year. Um, some lessons learned and best practices regarding stinger employment at the battalion level, just things that, you know, Probably a lot of it is recirculating things that were need to be revisited in, in today's current environment, that it's good that they exist and have that institutional memory to bring some of that stuff back um, or refresh it or integrate a lot of input from, you know, because especially with the counter small yes problem with rapid acquisitions and fielding, they're, they're throwing kit into soldiers and leaders hands faster than, you know, the traditional doctrine channels are able to keep up with it. So mm -hmm. to have ADA lessons learned collect this stuff, ingest it, put it back out to the floor. Some of it they're getting from special forces or other units out in the field that have employed this type of equipment and um, and putting that out there for, for all of our knowledge. So I, I believe a lot of their stuff's on their SharePoint behind, you know, CAC-enabled firewall, but the weekly interceptor, um, I believe they put out a more unclassified domain. So it's just something to keep in mind and let you know that your all your work didn't go by the wayside, that, that uh, section still exists and still puts out work today. Hmm. I'm glad that, to hear that. Might be something to, I'll give off with you offline to get. I'd like to get the link and try to get that incorporated into our Teams uh, communities because I think that would be helpful. Again, with this the new advent of Teams is, is I think, changing the game and it's going to make us so much more better in terms of the ability to collaborate and share information. That's awesome. So let's kind of regroup a little bit and I'll just ask you some basic questions that maybe our audience that are listening would like to know. Um, so how many years have you been in um, for the, from the military altogether? I have 33 years in uh, as of this past October. Okay. And during that time, um, what different places were you stationed at? I uh, started off in Germany, went to Fort Riley, Kansas, then to Bliss. Korea, back to Bliss, uh, to Sil, Qatar, uh, and then Korea multiple times. My last tour with Korea was a 35, 35th Brigade Senior Warrant Officer Advisor to uh, Colonel Hinkey, the Brigade Commander. Uh, and then also uh, Huntsville, Alabama. I was the first uh, military evaluator assigned to what's called the BMDS OTA, our Operational Test Agency. They're a division of, of ATEC that uh, evaluates any weapon systems such as that. Uh, forward base mode radars, uh, CTBMC, to make sure they're, they are meeting the warfighter's needs. Uh, so I was able to do that as a CW4, made CW5, went to Korea, uh, came back and, and uh, through discussions with senior armor leaders like uh, General Dickinson, General Carbler, uh, one of the things that we noticed is when it comes to because the Army capability management function uh, for, it's really 
you know, presence matters. So we all made a decision to establish a new position for the THAAD team lead uh, to be stationed in SND, I'm sorry, stationed with EFCO out of Fort Sill, Oklahoma, but with duty at SNDC, working with ACM SND and working also with all the NDA entities that we need in order to uh, make sure we have a system that's safe, suitable, and supportable. Uh, one of the things a lot of people don't really realize is that, you know, that is the only weapon system that is developed and sustained by a, a entity that is not the U.S. Army. And that causes for some friction and consternation uh, across multiple domains. Um, also, with the lessons learned as far as like, you know, you starting the process and everything with the military, can you kind of give us an insight on maybe some like life lessons that you learned since you've been in? Oh, so one, uh, take care of yourself, um, take care of your, your friends, family, uh, make sure that you are uh, always ready um, <laughs> and that, you know, you read, uh, constantly read anything. It doesn't matter what it really is because uh, you'll be surprised. You know, I'm a big science fiction fan, but the more you read, you know, just it broadens your perspective on how everything kind of works together not just the army okay well whenever you retire what do you plan on doing so right now i'm looking at possibly some of my mentors uh like mark sprinkle rest, rest in peace as well as uh phil adams uh have you know con over and become a CETA contractor for the ACM, basically taking off the green suit putting on civilian clothing and now supporting whoever the green suit is or the government lead in that so right now that's what i'm kind of looking at i haven't completely uh closed it all the way down but i, I want to continue to contribute um and also I've, I've started a lot of efforts that i think are very important and build a lot of relationships that i want mm -hmm. to continue to press to make again to make the thad weapon system uh better for everybody and especially for the warfighter and what area are you in now what area do you live in now so i'm in redstone arsenal huntsville alabama uh, and uh, I'm embedded within uh, Space and Missile Defense Command under General Carbler, uh, working with the ACM, uh, our Strategic Missile Defense Team under Colonel Noble, and uh, working directly with with all of the NDA entities, whether it be for the THAAD, uh, the THAAD four base mode, I'm correction, TIP2 four base mode, or even the uh, Command and Control Battle Management and Communication (C2BMC). Uh, and of course, BMDCLTA. So it's a convoluted. <laughs> relationships but one of the things that uh a lot of army air defense senior leaders will tell you uh with, that is in the air defense as a leader you need to get very used to having multiple bosses um it's, it's mm -hmm. not simple like it is in the infantry or the armor where you know you have a, a commander and, and that's who you work no you have a commander but you also have other equities that you are responsible to and need to be responsive to and that is a a very personality driven uh, uh effort uh but mm -hmm. It, like with me, I have to be able to both and, and translate. I have to be able to talk MDA ease when I'm talking with senior engineers, you know, with PhDs that are talking, you know, come from NASA all the way down to that, you know, that young PFC or specialist is sitting in uh, a, a THAAD van asking about well, why does this button do this? Uh, and so it, it's it's challenging, but it's extremely rewarding. So would you say that your actual area of expertise is with the THAAD? 
Yes. So mainly that and any kind of joint integrated air and missile defense planning. So one of the things with that is, you know, and not nothing against my patron brothers and sisters, but mm -hmm. we're a little more strategic when it comes to how we enter or how we integrate with the theater. Um, and so a lot of times we have to be able to understand, you know, we have to understand what a double ADP is and who writes it. Uh, and where do you go to talk to somebody about uh, pre-planned responses? Uh, a lot of work with the uh, Area Air Defense Commander, the AABCs, as well as the AOCs, Air Force Squadrons, Navy. Uh, did a lot of work with the Navy for a program they called Weapon Tactics Instructor. Mm -hmm. uh, for because one of the things that we, the, one of the platforms we we'll always work with is Aegis. Uh, we share pretty much a lot of the same battle space. Um, so yeah, I, I, combination of that and then any kind of. Uh, integrated air missile defense operational planning. So where do you see those relationships and that equipment um, working and doing for the Army in the next 10 years? So in the next 10 years, it's going to be very chaotic, I, I predict. Um, I think one of the things is we're going to continue to learn lessons, to learn lessons. And I think mm -hmm. one of them is probably going to be uh, uh, a centralized versus disaggregate approach of how we fight. Um, so right now I see in the next 10 years that IBCS is going to come on board. Uh, we're going to learn some lessons with that. Uh, THAAD will continue to try to evolve and try to integrate with it. But again, with two different, like for a better term, services, trying to bridge those gaps between the two is, is challenging to the must. My real concern, and I've shared this with some of the leaders, is that if we concentrate so much on centralized control, centralized execution, with, which is what it looks like when we have IBCS, when we, have we, as we've seen in battles, uh, recent battles in Ukraine and others, that a lot of times you may that you may not have that luxury, and you may have to fight completely disaggregated down to the smallest level. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a uh, there's a concept that the 82nd and other the airborne people used called LGOPS, which is little groups of air or paratroopers. But what that concept is is they they take it for they just take it right up front that when they jump out of those airplanes they're going to land they're going to be disaggregated. So instead of trying to get everybody on the same time or whatever, it's, hey, you find another paratrooper, you find another paratrooper, and you all march to the sound of the guns under the following the commander's intent. Mm -hmm. I think one of the things I would recommend we start exploring is little groups of air defenders, uh, something that we know will be disaggregate. And at certain times and places on the battlefield, they come up, connect, execute the commander's intent and the mission, and then and then uh, just disintegrate so that, that they cannot be targeted and then killed. Uh, but again, I don't think we're there yet, but I think we'll learn some lessons as IBCS comes more on board and as things in Ukraine and other places uh, continue to evolve. Okay, well, that was that's very interesting. What do you think about that, Chief Crothers? Uh, I think definitely the, the idea of losing this kind of luxury of having a very deliberate, very elaborate um, you know, mud to space, kill chain, lots of comms, as Chief alluded to, having all those pieces in place uh, at a time and place of a, a, a modern conflict is a, a pipe dream. And uh, I hope that, you know, from from my perspective, that those capabilities allow us to achieve more of that rapid, tailorable, you know, small groups, um, platoon size elements, maybe uh, to react um, and do what we need to do to achieve our objectives rather than the opposite, right? Where it, it ends up tying everything real tight in a centralized bundle. Um, so yeah, it's definitely a, a, an interesting problem set um, and we'll have to, you know, 
we have a lot of concepts. Um, we do a lot of wargaming and tabletops, and I think we really have to get, you know, kit into soldiers and young leaders' hands and get it, get it exercised, stress it, mm-hmm. and really start fleshing out those concepts and ideas as we um, have the hardware to actually interact with, right, and start seeing with, you know, what people do with it when we get it in their hands. Um, I think it's going to take a lot of, you know, a lot of these younger soldiers and leaders that we're bringing up now that maybe are, you know, can look at it in a, a different way and be more creative with it and um, come up with some more agile ways of implementing it um, that I'm, I'm really looking forward to help ushering that in as an old guy, you know, or an older guy. Um, and, and Chief, I wanted to follow up with a question about um, just kind of everything we've talked about, but it really leads to, you know, something that a problem that I'm close to right now is as the proponent is, uh, you know, retaining talent. Um, and, you know, it's interesting. There's you and, and several others out there. You, you've kind of mentioned them. It's, you know, we can count them on one hand that, you know, despite all the experience, training, expertise, spending some time down there in Rocket City with all these job offers around you, um, what is it that made you wear the uniform for 33 years and not, um, you know, cash out at 20 and, and go after some of these uh, other lucrative opportunities out there. I've been asked that quite a few times. I mean, I've been asked that since I was a W3. Hey, why are you still in? You know, mm-hmm. you know, it's not about the money for me. Uh, money's nice. It helps me do, you know, enables me to do some things. But it's, to me, it's always about the weapon system, and the soldiers that operate it. I always want to be able to make sure I am doing the best I can to ensure they have what they need when they need it to accomplish their mission. Uh, it's one of the things I learned as a, a you know, young infantry leader is that if you take care of your soldiers and the weapon system, everything else come, will come to be. Uh, and like you said, you know, you can have some complex plans that just, you know, do not survive first contact. But if your soldiers are trained, taken care of, they care, and the, and the weapon system works like it's supposed to, they'll, they'll handle it. Um, so that's kind of what drove me. And, and I'll be honest with you, the thing that, that has made me, the, the reason I ended up dropping my paperwork was, you know, the body's just a little old and the family and the wife are, are tired of moving around. And to the, it's to the point, you know, hey, I've gotten so far, I've gotten, you know, I've, I was able to help develop the first ad unit. It's the first TCO to get qualified. Planner that got get, got them into Guam, uh, supervised a lot of stuff they did in Korea, and now I'm you know you know one of the things we've always or at least we used to is that the ACM was the the end all be all of, of the expertise of every weapon system. So now I'm finish out my career as a as the team lead for ACM, uh, making sure all the .mil PF domains provide the soldiers and the units what they need. So bottom line for me, it's all about the soldiers and making sure they get what they need. Does that answer your question? Yes, Chief. It, it touches on something that I've um, added into our culture camp, really the intrinsic motivation. And I, I kind of say the same thing that, you know, if for many of us, if our only objective was that this was a job to get a paycheck to put food on the table, we have a lot of other options that present a lot less obstacles and challenges. Um, and so really what what keeps you going and what keeps you, um, you know, choosing this path over some others. And, and you really hit it on the head. I mean, I, I look at intrinsic motivation um, and the three components of that, you know, mastery, purpose and autonomy. Um, you know, mastery, you hit it on the head, right? You've gone from, you know, where you started to where you are now and you've you've kind of 
as far as you know army positions have kind of reached that pinnacle as you said and, and kind of you know did everything that you set out to achieve in terms of mastery um i don't think you know it sounds like your your mastery is not done you want to continue to um, be invested in this challenge beyond wearing the uniform and and you know i think that's what's kind of alluring about our, our career field is that you you achieve levels of mastery along a spectrum right but you never really make it to the top and that can seem daunting to some but for others it's just this insatiable challenge right we never really reach the end and that's what kind of um keeps us going you know you talked about purpose your purpose was your soldiers um and making sure they had the weapon system there to achieve the mission and autonomy you know i kind of <laughs> I kind of danced around including that and talking about warrant officer culture because we don't want to send the wrong message that we're just, you know, a ghost, right? Um, but I think when you've achieved a certain level of mastery and your commander knows you're invested in the purpose, you're sort of afforded a little more autonomy in the sense that, you know, hey, give chief my intent, let chief go do what chief has to do, and they're going to, you know, um, come through for us rather than chain them to a desk and, you know, micromanage them and things like that. So, um, I think you, you know, personified all those three points, and I hope that there's younger warrant officers that listen to this and hear your testimony. And uh, anytime you get a chance to share that, I know you do, but you know, keep sharing that because we are really, you know, always looking to retain our talent, and, and it's a challenge to get them to go beyond that that 20 years time in service. You know, CW3. So I got a couple of points I want to highlight on that. From I liked mastery and autonomy. So mastery, I think, is very difficult at times for air defense leaders, including warrant officers, because mastery entail, you know, one of the things in the infantry that I learned is very young was that never ask a soldier to do something you haven't done. And you can't really do that in air defense because there's different, you know, you got a tango that's doing a, a, a launcher crew drill, you got somebody else doing radar, you got somebody else doing EPP, all that stuff. What I would challenge young warrant officers to do is like, got it, you got a lot going on, but take some time and do, you don't have to certify, but at least do the job. Just do it. So you have a feeling and you have some empathy for what they're going through. It gives you so much depth. Uh, when I was a, a, a staff sergeant in um, uh, Korea as a 14 Echo, I made it a point to, to, you know, table eight all the way through. I did the radar crew drill, the EPP, the ECF. I did all of that because I wanted to make sure I understood exactly what my soldiers were going through. And I think that's one of the one of the challenges we have is we are, as a branch and organization, not set up to kind of groom that that mastery as we go through because there's so much, such a diverse uh, number of functions that they have to do. Now, in terms of the autonomy, I love that you got it. That, you know, you get autonomy when you gain trust uh, and you gain trust by presence and by uh, performing and doing what your commander and others need. Uh, and you do that now. And that's the other thing, too, is along with autonomy comes the the uh, the ability to, to be listened to. That's one of the things I've heard lots of warrants complain to me is that they want to do something or they're trying to do something and they're brief their commander and the commander doesn't want to hear it, doesn't want to do it, blah, blah, blah. And, and, and a lot of times that that sours that warrant officer with, well, I'm not going to do anything. Then. And I think we have to be able to take those licks. All right, got it. Uh, matter of fact, I've had a significant one here in the last six months where I, I recommended all the way up to major high speed, high levels and we got, got told no. Uh, and it hurt. But you know what? I have to take that with a grain of salt and I have to continue to do my job. Uh, and again, one of the things, uh, I guess my favorite quote, or actually a couple of them. One, do your job, do it well. Everything else will fall in place if you do that. Two, 
Instead of cursing the darkness, light a candle. Don't be part of the problem, be part of the solution. And then lastly, as you interact with anyone in the world, and as you're trying to do your mission, remember that the output of your discussion, collaboration, whatever, should always be focused on progress, not victory. You don't have to win. You just have to keep moving forward. And you know what? I can tell that you're very passionate about your job and that you've loved doing it this whole time. And I think that's awesome because there's a lot of people that don't really get to do what they love and they're not passionate about what they're doing. So I think that's that's great. Um, Chief Crothers, do you have anything else? No, just uh, Chief, it was a pleasure as always. And um, you know, if you ever need something from the proponency here or, or Okada, uh, you know how to get a hold of me and best of luck in your next chapter. And I'm sure we'll see each other again. Yes, I appreciate you, and I appreciate your efforts, Chief Carruthers, on on the uh, you know the, the the campaign to get everybody to understand well, how important warrants officers are and why you should be looking to become a warrant officer. I think it's having some effect, and, and, and it's about time we did that because for a while it seemed like it was kind of the, one of those hey, uh, we'll only select you if you're you know good, but now it's it's a hey, let's everybody should be able to apply, but let's work it out because everybody has talent. You just got to figure out what it is and then how to use it. Absolutely. Thank you for listening in to today's Air Defenders podcast, episode eight, gaining knowledge through lessons learned from an ADA chief with guests CW5 John Fallon and CW4 Kevin Crothers. Thanks again so much for being here, guys. I really appreciate y'all logging in. Well, thank you very much for having me. I appreciate the opportunity to share some of my thoughts. Thank you. That's all we have for today. I am your host, Amber Osei, and we look forward to sharing with you again in episode nine.